Good evening and welcome to Monsters Among Us. I'm your guide, Derek Hayes. Welcome back to yet another spine-tingling episode. I have several terrifying stories to share tonight, but before we get started, I wanted to remind everyone listening that if you've had a story and would like to share it on the show, simply call the 24-hour hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-NIGHT. 6444. Keep in mind that you can always submit via the website using the Report Your Sightings tab or by sending me an email directly at monstersamonguspodcast at gmail.com. Now, some of you are still submitting using the old address. You know, the one I had before I was forced to change the name of the show. Technically, this is fine. I still receive the emails, but it would be more helpful to me organizationally if we were all on the same page. So please update your contact list, bookmarks, or whatever method it is that you use. Alright, enough of all that. Let's get into it. Sometimes a paranormal experience is so slight that you don't even realize it's occurred. It's not until years have passed that you look back and accumulate dozens of experiences, only to then realize that things weren't as normal as they once appeared. This is just such the case for our first caller of the evening. Ours experiences, while subtle, touch on several very real, very serious issues. This is Ours Call. Hey there, uh, first off I just want to say I love the show and I love what you do. Uh, second, I want to preface this story by saying even I'm not sure that anything paranormal actually happened. I have a history of anxiety and depression which comes with severe bouts of paranoia and what ifs. I've never had waking hallucinations as far as I know but this paranoia makes me constantly worried that I might. Uh, at the same time, uh, that paranoia also makes me worry that I'm not hallucinating and what I've seen and felt is actually real and not a result of my mental illness. This has been going uh, back to my mid-teens. It always happened at night or morning when I was either just getting to sleep or just waking up. I'd find myself half awake, always laying on my back, with the feeling that something was very, very wrong in my bedroom. I always had my head facing to the side, an angle that made my neck hurt something terrible. 
The things that happened during these events varied. Sometimes I wouldn't see anything, just feel that something huge, cruel, and awful was nearby. Other times I'd be able to open my eyes just to crack, and I'd see something dark and amorphous in the corner of my room or on the ceiling. One time when this happened, as I was waking up in the morning, my eyes were half open, and a crack of sunlight coming through my curtains morphed into a giant eye staring down at me. It would take an enormous amount of effort to move, and the pain my neck was in made it so much worse. I had this sense that if I could move my head and look upward, I could shake myself out of this state, but at the same time my neck felt inexplicably fragile, and I was terrified if I moved it, I would snap my own spine and kill myself. I'd try to call for help, but my voice would only come out as this faint, raspy whimper. The worst of these events was when I was half awake one morning and distinctly felt an arm wrap itself around my waist like someone was spooning me. Uh, fortunately, I wasn't stuck lying there, and the surprise woke me up instantly, uh, so I didn't have to endure that the same way I had the others. I told my mom about this event specifically. I, I wouldn't call my mom religious, but she's definitely spiritual into paganism and ley lines and things like that. She's told me about encounters she's had with things that could be called spirits or even fairies, and they're always positive for her. Uh, she told me this was probably a good thing too, that something benevolent was protecting me, but I didn't feel very comforted. Maybe it was something good though, because I haven't felt anything touch me like that since, uh, like it realized it had scared me and backed off. These events have become more and more sparse over time. I'm in my mid-twenties now, and I haven't had one in the last year, at least. Um, I've heard about sleep paralysis, which seems to match up with what happened to me. Uh, maybe having a possible name for it helped me understand it and made it less frequent. Um, as for paranormal explanations, I'm not sure. There's no record of deaths or anything in our house, and my paranoia about invoking something malevolent has kept me far away from Ouija boards and things like that. There is a history of violence on my mom's side of the family, but I've never been very close to that as we moved across the ocean when I was very young. If my mom's paranormal experiences are true, Maybe she accidentally passed something down to me. <laughs> Maybe I was a stressed out teenager overwhelmed by a very toxic high school environment and the fear of growing up in a small conservative town while being very not straight uh, and my brain just couldn't handle that. I don't know really, I'm just glad it's steadily going away. My neck still hurts badly when I get especially stressed, and I still freak out and instantly roll over if I wake up and find myself sleeping on my back. Sometimes when I'm especially afraid of these events coming back, I'll stay awake until I'm absolutely exhausted just to make sure I sleep through the night. I'm sorry I couldn't submit something any more concrete, but I hope you found my little contribution interesting and it helps keep the show running. Uh, maybe somebody going through something similar will hear this and get some comfort or assurance from it. Thanks a lot, uh, and thanks for putting out this great podcast. Thank you, R. I've heard many stories similar to this one. Subtle experiences that can easily be written off as nerves, 
nightmares, paranoia, or other nervous conditions. The human mind is an amazing machine. It has the ability to conjure things that simply aren't there, and most likely never will be. In a paranoid state, those abilities seem to increase tenfold. That said, it's impossible for me to say whether or not your experiences fall within this category. But it is clear to me that whatever did happen has had an effect on you. If I were to offer up any advice, it would be this. Think back. Are there any other experiences that you've forgotten about? Something you've pushed back into the deepest crevices of your mind? Perhaps that will help you determine if what you experienced was internal or external. Thank you again for the call. I appreciate you spending your time with us. Our next call is about a familiar topic on Monsters Among Us. Here is Ethan's story. Hey, Derek. My name is Ethan. I'm a huge fan. The show's great. I'm currently binge listening to all your shows on SoundCloud. Finally decided to share my story with you. I hope you enjoy it and can use it in some way. My parents were separated when I was eight years old, so I would stay with my father on some days and my mom on others. My mother was moving to a new place. My sister and I were staying with her and helping her pack for her move. Well, we helped as much as a ten-year-old and a six-year-old could. My experience happened the night before moving day. Now, all the beds were disassembled, so... We could quickly put them on the truck in the morning, so my mother and my sister were sleeping on the couches, and I had some blankets laid out on the floor to sleep on in the living room with them. I'm not sure why, but I woke up in the middle of the night. From where I was laying, I could see the stairs leading up to where my old room was. When I woke up, I saw a shadow figure at the top of the stairs. It started to move down. I did not exactly see the shadow person's legs move. It just seemed to float down the stairs. As it floated down the stairs, I could see its head turn and face me. It did not have facial features like eyes and a mouth, but I saw the head turn in my direction. Then it seemed to evaporate from the bottom up as it continued down the stairs. I was too scared to scream, so I did what any kid would do, <laughs> and I threw the blankets over my head to hide. Next thing I knew, it was morning. I was so scared to share the experience with my mother, and I was not completely sure it was real or a dream until years later when I was listening to a coast-to-coast -coast AM show about shadow people. I think... What was so strange for me was the fact that I'd never had any type of paranormal experience at that apartment other than that one. I've had other experiences in other places, but I'll share those later. Keep up the good work, and have a happy new year. Thanks, Ethan. This too is a very familiar story. I've heard several accounts of people seeing shadow figures near or at the top of a staircase. And I'm not quite sure what the correlation is between the two, but it does seem to happen quite often. I can't imagine how terrifying it would be for a 10-year-old to see something like this. 
but it's good to hear that the old head-over-the-blanket trick still works. Thanks again for calling in. Looking forward to hearing your other encounters. Our next submission comes to us from Robert. Robert submitted a story several months back about a ghost of what seemed like a Native American walking through his Tucson home. Here is Robert's second encounter. Looking back on other supernatural occurrences in my life, I remembered a story that was even creepier. In 2002, I was working at a KB Toys in an old shopping center in Tucson, Arizona, called the El Con Mall. The place was built in 1972 on the site of an old hotel called the El Conquistador that had been built in the 1920s and was demolished to create the mall. Reading online about the history of the shopping center, it was called irresistibly exotic for its time and place. But when I worked there, it was essentially abandoned, with few stores open and mostly no visitors. In fact, the store where I worked closed down just months after my strange story. The entire chain went out of business not long after that. A customer once told me that the store was an old Walden Books from the early 70s, which explained the green carpet and fake cottage window. It was a musty, creepy place, not exactly the theme you'd want for a toy store. I was the manager of the store, and on some nights after I closed, I would stay a little later to do extra cleaning, stocking, or other tasks. The store's lights would be dimmed, and I would work in silence, as quiet as you would imagine a store in an empty mall would be after hours. One night I was in the back of the store at about 10 p.m. placing these Winnie the Pooh dolls on the shelves. They were plush bears with him holding a honey pot in one hand and a honey dipper in the other. If you pulled out the battery tab, you could place the stick into the jar and Pooh would say several different recorded lines. I placed two boxes of bears out on two different shelves, totaling about 20, including a couple of older ones. As I walked away with the empty boxes, all the dolls simultaneously went off, speaking the recorded phrases in a jumbled mess for about four seconds then suddenly stopping as suddenly as they began. A chill ran down my spine. I thought maybe that something set them off, that there had to be some logical explanation for this. So I approached the shelves, moved the dolls around, and walked away again. Nothing happened. In fact, the only way they could speak was to place those two toy parts together. Even more surprising was that only a couple of the dolls had their cardboard battery tabs removed as to allow the voice recording to play. These were used as demos. But I had heard all of them speak at the same time, not a couple of them. But again, nothing I could do would cause any doll to speak, let alone all of them. Here's where I remembered what many of the older employees had told me. Tales of seeing an old man and a young boy standing at the back of the store, then vanishing. Sometimes they would even be seen walking to the back of the stockroom, then disappearing. Everyone had stories of objects flying off the shelves for no reason. Something I had witnessed but dismissed. One employee had a psychic friend who claimed she felt something watching from the back area of the store. She claimed to feel uneasy. She even asked if there were cameras in that spot because she felt like she was being watched. There were none. The only other strange thing that I had seen was opening the store in the morning and finding the back toy area disheveled and the items thrown all over the floor, something I blamed on the closers the night before, which they denied. On one occasion, I cleaned the store at night, closed, and found the mess in the morning. That's when I began to blame 
these possible ghosts. I read that the remaining shell of the mall was demolished in 2011. I believe a Walmart is now there. Thanks for letting me share this. Great podcast as always. Thanks again, Robert. Thank you once again, Robert. I'll be honest, those talking dolls creep me out without anything paranormal even happening. So I could not imagine being there when this happened. My thought was the same as yours when I first read your encounter. There has to be some reason that they'd all go off like that. Is it possible that some radio interference set them off? Perhaps one doll had a malfunction that caused the voice to be garbled or even echo. I realize these suggestions are probably long shots, but I'm struggling to come up with a more logical explanation. Toss in the apparitions, destroyed store, and mysterious history, and I can't help but feel you have all the ingredients for a great haunt. I'd be curious to know if any of the employees at the new Walmart have experienced anything. After all, if the activity was able to transition from the hotel to the mall, surely it can do the same from the mall to Walmart. Thanks again for your submission. Great story. Let's switch gears here for our final call. This one harkens back to episode 12 where I explored several creepy sounds. Hi. Oh, just call me B. We'll go with that. Um, this takes place, oh gosh, probably around 2004, 2005. I was a junior or sophomore in high school. Uh, a town called Helm. It's in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, pretty much. And you blink and you missed it driving down the highway kind of place. Uh, I call it rural light because, well, it wasn't like enough that we were in the mountains and we had neighbors. They weren't super close, but they weren't so far away that you couldn't see them. But before the housing boom, we couldn't even get like delivery pizza and cable wouldn't go out that far, just to give you an idea of how it was. So at the time, uh, I was friends with these two girls. I'm gonna call them A and C uh, throughout the story because that just makes it a little bit easier and keep them anonymous. Uh, now, A, A was super, super logical and a skeptic at heart. She didn't believe in like, anything unless you could see it or touch it kind of person. C just seemed to hate the human race in general, and uh, I, I think she tolerated us, and thus we were her friends. So that's kind of how she was. Now, to lay the story, I was, I was terrified of my backyard. Like, absolutely absolutely terrified for no logical reason nothing had ever happened before i just had this horrible feeling about it now my backyard was about 14 acres of woodland there's a bit of like a grassy area about 500 feet or so of just like grassy area out in the back of my house and then it was just woods Uh, so on this night they were over about 2 a.m we were bored um, everything and an a gets in her mind that She's like, we're going to face your fear tonight. You're going you're gonna to get over it. I'm going to prove to you that there's absolutely nothing to be afraid of. So, you know, we gothlings that we were at the time. We, we took lanterns out. It didn't make any sense. The lanterns gave off, like, zero light. It was kind of pointless. So we go out there at the edge of the driveway light. Now, there were no street lights, so all we had to do uh, to light 
the area back here was this driveway light. So it's about 300 yards from the house. And we're at this precipice of just where this light is. And we're standing there and A, you know, start shouting out things like, I don't think you're out here or I don't, I don't believe you're real and blah, blah, blah and all that stuff. So we're standing there for a while and it's, it's a clear night, but there's not really a moon out. Not really, it's just kind of pitch black in front of us. And C, C gets bored or she has to go to the bathroom, something along those lines. But either way, she goes back into the house. Again, 300 feet. I really want to make this clear. It was not a quick and easy or close run. This comes up later. So she's back in the house. So it's just me and A. And she continues her verbal assault on into the darkness, essentially. And there's nothing. And there's nothing. And she's like, see, there's there's nothing there. There's nothing to be afraid of. And, and then, it was almost like it was on cue. On cue. Sorry. Just remembering this. Oh, it still has me shaking all these years. There was like this horrible, most horrible guttural growl. And it was like nothing I'd ever heard before. And we go quiet. And then there comes another growl. And another. And another. And it sounded like it was to our right, but then at the same time, it almost sounded like there was another one off to to our left, and it just it didn't make any sense. I can't explain it because it just it sounded like one multiplying tenfold, and it, it oh, I don't know if it was just the sound playing tricks on us, something. But then this large thrashing comes out of the woods, and we just bolt. We go bolting up the stairs. Uh, to the house as soon as we got in. We locked the doors, we like closed all the blinds, and nothing ever followed us, as far as I could tell. I didn't see anything. And see, she was in the kitchen the whole time. She wasn't like winded or dirty, and you would have thought like for something gone like thrashing through the woods. And there was only one way in and out of the house, and that was that back door because the front door was locked. So it wasn't her. It wasn't like her playing a trick on us. If, if she was, it would have been the most outstanding trick anyone has ever played with multiple speakers and, I don't know, faster than Usain Bolt kind of stuff. But I never, never could figure out what made that noise, the sound. I've, I've looked up every possible large thing in Pennsylvania that it might have been. Black bears, coyotes, fox, deer, even, even mountain lions, which aren't supposed to be there anymore and nothing that nothing ever quite was this sound so in conclusion i don't really know to this day what it was but it was this horrible thing that solidified this fear that i should have been afraid in the first place because obviously something was there and it didn't want us out there to begin with so this was kind of inspired by the the hearing, or at least inspired to, to tell about it from last week's, or not last week's, last month's intro about noises in the woods. So that's my story about hearing horrible, horrible noise in the woods. Bye. Thank you, B. I really enjoyed your story. Very well told and downright creepy. Your encounter reminds me of a story my dad's neighbor told me several years ago. 
You see, Frank, he's a farmer for the most part. A tough guy. In my near 40 years of knowing him, I've never heard him admit to being afraid of anything. But one night, while raccoon hunting, something changed all that. Raccoon hunting is a popular pastime where I grew up. A hunter will have a couple of dogs, often referred to as coon hounds, and the hunter will set them loose and they'd roam the ridgeline picking up a raccoon's scent. Once a scent trail has been detected, they track the animal down until it does what's instinctual. It climbs a tree to get away from the dogs. That's when the hunter catches up and, well, you can guess the rest. It's kind of depressing when you think about it. But at any rate, Frank was out alone with his two dogs and instead of running a raccoon up a tree, they ended up cornering something in a thick grove of thorns. The dogs barked and bayed, but they kept their distance from the briars. When Frank arrived, he said the sounds emitting from those bushes was otherworldly. Not something one would expect to hear in the woods of southern Ohio. He described it as a low, growling sound, something that he could feel in his chest, something that shook him to his core. He was never able to see what was making the noise. The darkness and the thick vegetation made it impossible for his flashlight to penetrate. Well, according to Frank, he leashed his hounds and made a beeline for his truck, leaving whatever it was back in the darkness. He swore off hunting for several months after that, and to this day has not returned to those particular hunting grounds. So, perhaps what B heard is similar, or even possibly the exact same thing that Frank heard. You know, after all, the place where Frank was hunting was less than 30 minutes from the Pennsylvania line. Thank you again, B. What an excellent call. And that does it for this episode, but before I go, I have a little homework for you. The season two finale is fast approaching, and I want to do something special for it. So I've decided to dedicate an entire episode to hometown legends. It seems that no matter where you go, every town, or at least every area, has its own legendary haunted house, monster on the loose, or alleged UFO crash. I want to hear yours. So I'm asking that everyone call in and tell us about your hometown legend. The more obscure, the better. When you submit, please be sure to mention before the call that this is a hometown legend submission. That just makes it easier for me to file. We only have three episodes to go before the finale, so don't hesitate. Call today. If you recall from last episode, Summer called in to tell her story about a phantom motorcycle rider that tailed her and her friend across the Nevada desert. In her story, she explained that she'd managed to capture a photo of the mysterious rider. Well, this morning, Summer sent the picture to me, and I must admit, she was not kidding when she said it was creepy. So if you'd like to check out those images, head on over to the show notes for the episode on the website at www.monstersamonguspodcast.com. One more thing before I go. As you probably already know, I set up a donation button on the webpage. I'm not looking to get rich, but merely help pay the monthly hosting fees and equipment upgrades needed to keep the show running. Well, this week I received a wonderful donation from Angie. A donation that allowed me to buy a mic mount that does not rattle, and some sound-absorbing foam for the studio. So thank you so much, Angie. Your contribution is very much appreciated. If you'd like to join Angie in support of the show, just hit the donate button on the webpage. Any amount is a huge, huge help. So thank you in advance. 
I'd like to thank Warren Pon Abbott for his vocal contributions to tonight's episode. A link to his profile is also found in tonight's show notes. And lastly, music from tonight's episode was provided by Keith McLeod, Mayu, and Nature1986. Thank you all for listening, and until next week. <laughs>